Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer as we open His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege of opening Your Word now as we continue to worship You. And we pray that our hearts would be attentive to Your Word, Lord, and that we might be encouraged by them, we might live by them, and that, Lord, uh, we might uh, be examples of uh, Christ's uh, love and presence in our lives. In His name we pray. Amen. It's Palm Sunday, and in the church calendar, of course, uh, there are certain days that are uh, special days for us. You know, we gather each week on Sunday because it is the first day of the week. It's Resurrection Sunday, and the early Christians began to meet on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection. I happen to notice on the calendar, in fact, I was just looking at it today, and I happen to notice that uh, Passover is uh, next Saturday. And uh, so that means that our uh, calendars, the, you know, the Jewish calendar is different in that it's, it's a lunar calendar. And you'll notice this is based on the years from creation until now. Uh, but if you notice in the Gospels that when our Lord was crucified, uh, it was a high, a holy uh, Passover because it fell on the Sabbath. And next Saturday being the Sabbath, beginning Friday night at 6 o'clock, uh, is exactly the same as the weekend that our Lord Jesus Christ was died, and, and why uh, they had to remove him from the cross uh, before the evening began, which began not only the Sabbath, but Passover. And I hope you'll come and join us on Friday night, Good Friday. Uh, we're going to celebrate uh, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're also going to celebrate communion together. And uh, our choir is going to be presenting uh, a, a music, uh, music for the service. There will be a musical service, a short uh, just a few thoughts from the Word. We'll be preaching on Sunday morning, Easter. But we invite you to come. And uh, I know that we have several people traveling this weekend, and we have several of our young people on mission trips also. want to continue to pray as they do so. Um, let me put a picture of uh, Palm Sunday. I could, you can pick out any number of pictures of uh, Palm Sunday. And um, there are certain things that uh, artists' renditions whether it's artists, whether it's stained glass windows, uh, whatever it is, there are certain things you will find uh, in common in all of them. According to the scriptures, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is a time, is a scene of celebration, and it's a scene of joy. Uh, generally, the people are happy, they're joyous, they are surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming down from the from the east, from the Mount of Olives, which sweeps down into Jerusalem, possibly he came in the eastern gate. We're not 100% sure exactly what, but it's likely he came through that gate, maybe. And he comes into the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. We see the garments that are spread, which was a sign of uh, respect for a, a welcoming, a dignitary. Uh, he comes on a donkey, as the Bible tells us, because that animal represented peace, as opposed to a war horse that would represent a conquering uh, king. He comes into Jerusalem and always in these scenes, there are children. Do you notice that? There are always children, happy children, right? Happy children uh, in the scenes of Palm Sunday. Uh, we had our children today. We had our happy children. And uh, we're waving their palm branches and, and some of you happy parents and grandparents seeing your children and the, and the young people that sang and read the scripture. 
And it's interesting, I went, I went back just to, to, to check myself once again, and I, I hope I'm not wrong about this, the translation I used for this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I can find no particular reference to children. Now, you, don't do it right now, please, but when you go home today, okay? The references to crowds, to people, um, to lots of people, but there's no particular reference to children. And yet, in our, in our Christian tradition, of all the Sundays in the year that you, you will find tr- traditionally when something is done for Palm Sunday, it involves children. And it's kind of interesting. And, I, and so I have a couple, I have two questions for you that I want you to think about. Why, why is that? Why is there an assumption that children were an important part of Palm Sunday? Why or why have they become such an important part of this Sunday and, and all the pictures and all the traditions that go with it? And some of you maybe come from various church backgrounds where there's more liturgy and there is more uh, particularly associated with the palm branches and so forth. So why, why are the children so prominent, even though they're not particularly mentioned in the Gospels? And the second thing is, what was Jesus thinking when he came into Jerusalem? Was he happy? Was he joyful? Uh, there's an explosion of joy to the point that when, when, the, when, they, when they are coming into Jerusalem and the people are exclaiming, blessed is he, Hosanna, uh, Hoshena, in the Hebrew means save now. His name, Jesus, comes from the word, it's the same word that we, Joshua in the Old Testament, Yeshua. You've probably heard the Hebrew name Yeshua. And that means, it has to do with salvation. Jehovah saves. And that's what they were saying. They were crying out, uh, Hosea na, save now. According to the, to the 118th Psalm and to Zechariah 9, the prophecies that were fulfilled about the Messiah coming to Jerusalem. The leaders said, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. This is, you know, get, get control of this situation. You know, tell them to be quiet. You remember what he said? I tell you this. If I told them to be quiet, even the what? The stones would cry out. I mean, I mean, think about that. Even the rocks would cry out for joy because this is a joyous day. But I wonder what was in the heart of our Savior on Palm Sunday. He was the only one that knew in five days he would be tortured. He, he was fully human. He was fully God and he was fully human. He was both. And he was not one or the other at different times. He was the God-man without sin. And in his humanity, he was going to suffer. He was going to be tortured. He was going to suffer the most excruciating, painful death that was possible. The death of the cross of Calvary. He was not only going to die physically with that excruciating death. He was going to die bearing my sin and yours and the sin of the world on his soul to the point that God the Father would have to look away while he punished him for my sin and for yours. Jesus knew that in five days that was going to happen. If that were on your mind, if you knew that in five days from now, if you knew the next Friday evening, as we come to gather for Good Friday, but if you knew that next Friday evening you were going to die a long, excruciating, painful death, let alone even imagine bearing the sins of the world, what would be on your mind? 
So I wonder on, on Palm Sunday, as is that is is scene of celebration and, and joy, as he, as he came in to Jerusalem, that was on cue. That was good. That, a little joyous music there. Thank you. Okay, right on cue. As he, as he came into Jerusalem, and as, he, and, as he, and as everybody's happy and, and shouting, and he said the stones would even cry out, and, the, and maybe if, it, if we're right, the children were shouting and, and, and praising God, and I wonder what was on the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to hold those two thoughts. I have a lot of confidence in you, okay? We talk a lot about multitasking today. I want you to hold those two questions till the end of the sermon. Can you do that? Can you do that? Thank you. Okay, you can do that. Hold those two questions because... We're going to actually switch scriptures for a moment now, and we are going to finish up the book of Acts. It just so happens as we've been studying the book of Acts together this last, since last fall, we are at the end of the book of Acts today, and we want to complete it, and it fits very well with our Easter celebration. And so I want you to hold those two thoughts, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 28 this morning. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, and we'll come back to our two questions. What was Jesus thinking, and why are children always associated with Palm Sunday? Because they're going to come together as we study and look at the book of Acts this morning. What we want to do first of all today, is we want to get the Apostle Paul in chapter 28, we're going to get Paul to Rome, okay? Um, We have been traveling with the Apostle Paul down to Jerusalem we uh, saw as, as, as the Apostle Paul planned to go down there. And what I'd like you to do is, is put a, I'm going to put my ribbon in Acts chapter 28. If you just put a ribbon or a notebook or your bulletin or something. And then if you just turn to Romans chapter 15. And, and we, we come to Romans chapter, uh, we come to Romans chapter 15. And we actually get a little, a little um, review of Paul's life because he's looking ahead. He writes to the Romans while he is in Asia Minor uh, on his second mission, on his third missionary journey, maybe or second journey. And he writes and says, "Here's my plans." And this is what happens in verse 23. Paul says, "Now, but first, chapter 15, verse 23 of Romans." Incidentally, two Sundays ago, I gave you some wrong references, and some of you were scrambling, looking for the passages, and I told our Sunday night crowd, don't be afraid to raise your hand, and especially you in front, and say, Pastor Jim, that's the wrong passage. I have never been known to come down and hit you or anything like that, or get mad to Doris, you tell me if I'm doing the wrong passage, rather than everybody trying to find this. Okay, this is the right passage, Romans chapter 15, okay? Somebody said, my daughter, I'm not sure what Bible your dad was using today, but uh, last two weeks ago. <laughs> Verse 23. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, Romans, you people in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul's heart was Spain. Spain was the furthest extent of the Roman Empire. It was the West. From their perspective, that's as far as you could go, because after that was the Atlantic Ocean, okay? He has been in the east, and he says, I'm, I'm planning to go as far west as possible to take the gospel. Maybe his plan was to go up north to the British Isles, uh, where the Romans also expanded their empire. He said, I'm going to go to Spain. And when I do so, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, probably financially. After I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem. And this is what we've been looking at in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was going to Jerusalem for this reason. 
in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia, that is a people in Greece and Macedonia, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I have completed this task, have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So what we get here, at least a little synopsis, is that Paul says, my, my goal is to go to Jerusalem to bring the gifts for the poor saints in Jerusalem, the poor believing Jews in Jerusalem. And then from there I plan to leave and come to you in Rome. And that is what we have seen the last several chapters in the book of Acts. Paul went to, to Jerusalem. He also asked the Romans later on in this passage, he says, to pray for me that my work in Jerusalem will be accepted that it won't, be a, it won't be a problem, it won't be controversial, they'll accept. And we know that Paul does get to Rome, Jerusalem. He does bring the gifts. He does leave the gifts for the people in Jerusalem. But we also know things did not go well. Turmoil and trouble and accusations to the point that, that uh, his life is in danger. He is so threatened that the Romans take him and put him in their custody. And the Romans end up with, with, with the leaders in, in Jerusalem coming down and wanting to kill Paul, several of them taking a pact that they will not eat or drink until they have killed Paul. They try to lay a trap for him. They try to get the Romans to bring him back, and we've seen this. And, and Paul ends up in Roman custody for two years in Caesarea. He told the Romans, I'm going to Jerusalem, and then I'm coming to you. He went to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He goes to the coast of Caesarea and he spends two years incarcerated under house arrest waiting to get to Rome. And and we saw the last several chapters where he has a chance to give his testimony before Roman governors and Roman leaders, the the kings of the Herods and so forth. And then last Sunday, uh, Pastor Kevin took us to Acts chapter 27 and we began this journey to Rome. And let's just quickly review. If you put my map up there, uh, Cliff, could you for me? Thank you. Um, I have to point this. I was going to point back at that one. That's not going to help you any. Okay. (laughs) We see see the Apostle Paul down here in Caesarea, near Jerusalem, where he is incarcerated for two years. He travels up to Sidon, up in Lebanon, where they then leave and they travel along the coast. And he talks about uh, some of these areas that we mentioned along in here. And and they travel as far, their, their destination is Rome. But in order to get there, they have two options. One is to go, actually go through Corinth there, hug the coast and slip across there. It's safer. Or they could shoot across this way uh, over toward Malta, which is where last week when Pastor Kevin uh, gave us the message of the shipwreck, it took place in this area here of the Mediterranean Sea. You can leave the map there for a minute, uh, Cliff. But if you go to Acts uh, chapter 27, and we, and we saw this, and we see in verse 3, we landed at Sidon, they head up north, and then they, they're, they're going to Crete in verse 7. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. We see that in our map, and as, they, as they, the map of Fair Havens right here by Crete, they hug along the coast, they go to Crete, and then they slip up here and are heading across toward Syracuse, over to Malta. And finally in chapter 28, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. 
And Paul comes to Malta after a horrible shipwreck where their lives were threatened. Everybody was, as Kevin preached last week, throwing everything overboard. I can't imagine anything more terrifying than being out in the sea at night in a shipwreck. We think we just celebrated the anniversary of the Titanic, didn't we? It was the 100th anniversary of the Titanic going down. Really, of all the things, I can remember as a kid going across at night on, a, on the ferry boats uh, across Puget Sound and thinking about them sinking and stuff and how fearful that would be at night. I can't think of anything worse than to, than, than to do that. But it was a fearful, terrifying experience for everybody else, but Paul was assured that he was going to get to Rome and he told them that, to trust his word and, and to do what he said and that they would get there. And they eventually end up on Malta. And then as we look at this passage here, and we'll leave the map just for a second, when we come toward the end of chapter 28, you'll see in verse 11, after this, you can read verses 1 through 10 yourself about what happens on Malta. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse, and we stayed there three days. Syracuse, up here on Sicily. How many of you ever been to Sicily? Huh? Come on, you guys can get around a little bit. I've never been to Sicily. Okay. All right. He gets to Sicily. And, 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 as it, and it says here that, that as, as, they, as they travel to Sicily, the next day, from verse 13, from there we set out and arrived at Regium. Or Regium. The next day, the following wind came up. The following day, we reached Putello. Putua, Put, how do I say that, Rosaria? What? Patelli. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. So Paul's trip to Malta, to Syracuse, to Regium, up here to where Rosario, obviously, Rosario's been, to Telly. And then up here we're going to find him up this area, three taverns, and then finally to Rome. Thanks, Cliff. So that's Paul's journey to Rome. Now, this has been a two years of difficulty, challenging, danger, life-threatening, uh, on Malta, a viper grabbing his hand, shipwreck, two and a half years, probably, in Roman incarceration, when Paul wanted to be out preaching and teaching. And we finally come in verse 16 of chapter 28. It says, when we got to Rome, his destination, Rome, the place where he had written that tremendous epistle, the book of Romans, one of probably Paul's most um, uh, largest tract on doctrine and, 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 and just amazing teaching the book of Romans that we love so well. These are the people that received it. He had never been there. He had never met these Roman Christians. But he had written this book to them, this epistle, that, and, and he writes them and says, after I go, I'm, like we, we saw in chapter 15, I'm coming to meet you there, and I'm coming. And he finally arrives in Rome. I want you to look at verse 15 and 16 today. As Paul is going there, on his way to Rome... It says, the brothers there in Rome had heard that we were coming. They traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And that's the last two places I showed you, 20, 25 miles south, southeast of Rome. 
They heard we were coming. And the brothers heard this. And they traveled that far to the three taverns, the town called the three taverns, and they came to greet us. At the sight of these men, at the sight of these brothers from Rome, Paul thanked God and Paul was encouraged. Now, I really want us just to stop there for a minute today because I want you to take this home with you. We're going to actually tonight in our Sunday evening Bible study consider Paul's message. Paul goes on to Rome and when he gets there, he calls the fellow Jews because he knows that they probably have heard about the trouble in Jerusalem and why he's in Rome to appeal to Caesar. They, they say, no, we haven't heard about this. And he, and he explains to these Jewish uh, brothers of his, brothers and sisters, some who may have come, become believers, but others who had never heard of Christ. He preaches to them. He shares why he is there. And then he ends up, after he claims once again, God has sent me to the Gentile nations and they will listen to it. And he stays there and he says he's imprisoned there for two years. And we leave Paul in, in, in Acts chapter 28 in verse 20, verse 30, we leave him here. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him boldly. And without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. Two years. We don't know what happened to Paul. We, we, we have some guesses. We, we think what happened is he was let free after two years. He traveled. He wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, was rearrested, and this time brought back and executed by Nero, had his head chopped off as a Roman citizen for his leadership in the Christian faith. Read the last part of 2 Timothy, especially chapter 4, and you will see a man about to die for his faith. The book of Acts ends. In verse 15 and 16, Paul is encouraged. He gives God thanks, and he was encouraged. Now I want to stop there on that word, encouraged. What does that word mean? We use it all the time. We talk about being encouraged by others, being encouraged in our faith, being encouraged by the word, being encouraged by the things that happen that God does for us. What does the word encourage mean? Well, if you look at the word encourage, obviously the root word is what? Courage. Courage. What does courage mean to you? The idea of of having the strength, the hope to go on, to take the next step, to go the next day, to do what you are called to do, to have courage Sometimes in your employment, in your work, some of you right now are in need of courage. Some of you are in need of, of courage to keep looking for work. It's hard. It's hard right now for many people. And some of our brothers and sisters are looking for work. We need to pray for them. Some of you are in relationships right now where you need courage to move ahead and to strengthen that relationship. Maybe to reconcile that relationship. Maybe it's in your own family, or extended family. Maybe it's at school. Right now some of you are a little discouraged. You're dis encouraged, right? And maybe it's the time of year where schoolwork and so on, that it's, it's discouraging and you need a little courage to move ahead and to keep going to finish the year, to finish strong. We get discouraged, we run out of courage, and we need to be encouraged, to be given the courage to continue to move ahead. The Webster's Dictionary official definition to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. 
to encourage, to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. And I ask the question, it says here that Paul was encouraged when these brothers from Rome showed up. It doesn't say what they did. It doesn't say what they talked about. It doesn't say if they brought him a gift. All it says is he was encouraged and it caused him to give God thanks. Was Paul in need of encouragement? Was Paul discouraged? You know, when we read these accounts of the, of these, of these people in the Bible, these men and women in the Bible that we find so meaningful, I want to remind you, these are not one-dimensional figures. They are not you know, like robots going from point A to point B and there's no feeling. There's a, Paul was a, was a human, just as human as you are. He was not divine. Only the Son of God was divine. And yet, even with the Lord Jesus Christ, in his full humanity, we find him getting tired, we find him getting hungry, we find him getting angry, we find him weeping, we find him in need of encouragement, as we'll see. And the Apostle Paul, after all he's been through, after all he has been through, all he's trying to do is serve God. He's just trying to do what God's called him to do. That's all he's trying to do. He's not trying to win any awards. He's not trying to win a lottery. He's not trying to get rich. He's not trying to get famous. He's just trying to do what God's called him to do in every step of the way. Read it in Corinthians. Paul talks about how he's been stoned and left for dead. He's been whipped with a whip more than once. He's been left for dead. He's been hungry. He talks about being, 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 being at sea. We see this here, being, being shipwrecked. He's had all these experiences and let alone this constant, this constant hatred for, for preaching the love of Christ. He's trying to help people understand that God loves them. That, that God loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him, receive him, would receive eternal life. That's all he's trying to do. And yet he's this, this constant hatred to the point that people have taken a vow. We're not going to eat or drink till we kill him. He's just trying to serve God. And now he's been through this shipwreck and, and, and the ship and everything on it that is lost, but the, the lives of the people. And now he's just, all he wanted to do was go to Spain. <laughs> I'd like to go to Spain. <laughs> Anybody ever been to Spain? Come on. I'd like to go to Spain. And he wanted to go to Rome on the way. But Paul wanted to go there to preach the gospel. And I think that this is one of those times in Paul's life when he comes to three taverns where I was, I was going to call this sermon this, this encouragement of three taverns, but somebody reading this on the internet might have not quite understood, you know, so you understand. Okay? I think he's discouraged. And, and I think we see times in Paul's life where the God comes to him in, in a dream and says, Paul, don't be discouraged. He came to him in Corinth, don't be discouraged. I've got plenty of people here. You're going to be okay. No one's going to hurt you. He comes to him to Jerusalem and says, don't, don't be discouraged. You're going to go to Rome. And I, I just myself think after all he's been through and this shipwreck and everything else, and he's finally getting to Rome, but here he is a prisoner. And here are these brothers who he has never met show up walking down the road 20 miles away. They've made the trip just to see him and encourage him. And he gives God thanks, 
And Paul is encouraged. How did they know that Paul, how did they know to make that trip to go see Paul? They could have waited in Rome. Word had come that he was coming. They didn't have to go down there. But somehow the Holy Spirit prompted them and they listened and they made that journey to three taverns to see Paul. What did they say to him? We don't know. But it was the sight of these brothers coming, and it could have been brothers and sisters, we don't know. You know that word is used for, for both genders in that situation. It could have been a group of people. Maybe it was children like Palm Sunday, I don't know. But they came to see him, and it says that Paul was encouraged. And it gave him the courage to boldly make that trip to Rome. He is going to be speaking before the emperor of Rome the most powerful man on the face of the earth. His life is in his hands. And Paul is given the courage to take that last... You know what? Don't you think Satan was trying to discourage Paul from getting to Rome? Why did Luke spend a whole chapter on chapter 27 on the shipwreck? I mean, we get to chapter 28 and he moves right along and, and he gets to Rome. But, you, you, you know, in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, many Bible scholars have noted this, that in the Old Testament, the, the Jews were not a seagoing people. And we see in the Old Testament some instances. We see Pharaoh's army drowned in the sea. We see Jonah thrown into the sea. And, and, and he talks about the abyss coming over him. And this idea of the, of the being lost at sea, that this was maybe Satan's final attack to keep him from getting to Rome, was to, to throw this, this, this storm that maybe God allowed. Who knows? God was in control. We have a whole chapter on this storm that Kevin preached on last week. And I think he's discouraged. And he's given the courage. And, I, and friends, today, some of you need the courage to take that last 20 miles. And some of you need to encourage others to go those 20 miles. Encouragement. How do we give encouragement to others? How do you give encouragement to other people? How have you been encouraged? How have you been given the courage and the spirit and the hope to keep going when times when you didn't feel like it? How do you do it? How can I do it? How can you and I bring encouragement? That's what I want you to think about as you leave this morning. What can you do to bring encouragement to others? Number one, living by faith. Living according to God's word is an encouragement to others. Can I give you an example? I'll give you a little into my life as a pastor because this is I've been in the pastorate for 30-some years now. I, 19, whatever 1978 till now comes to. I, somebody figured it out for me. And uh, 38 years? 28? 20, I don't know. Anyway, it's been a while. I've been in church ministry. And this happens to me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, last month, I had an opportunity to visit our, our friend Larry Erskine, who we've been praying for. We pray for him all the time. I know you pray for him every day as this, this battle with cancer, and this, that he has lung removed, and now the cancer that's invaded again, and, and it caused so much pain. And I, I got to see Larry twice at University Hospital. He was down there in Cancer Care Alliance and trying to get control of the pain. 
And as pastor, I go to, to try to encourage people. You know, I try to bring the Word of God. I pray. We, without fail, I leave. Guess what? Encouraged. I didn't even go there necessarily discouraged. But I leave there encouraged. And it happens to me all the time. Whether it's in a nursing home, a rehab center, a hospital, a home visit. And you know why I, I leave encouraged? Because the person that is there, their faith, their trust in God is so encouraging. To, to, to see our brother Larry, I mean, to, to, to hear his faith in God and his complete understanding and trust in God, as hard as it is. We would all like it to be different. To see him interact with the nurses and the way he treated them and the kindness and the, you know, it, it was a person just simply living their Christian faith. I visited some of our senior shut-ins this week that aren't able to get out and be with us and to be encouraged. So I, want to, I just want to encourage you today, friends. You can be an encouragement to others, even if you are living in difficult situations right now. If you just live according to what God has called you to live, to live by faith, to walk by faith, you will be an encouragement to others. You may never know it. No one may ever say to you, man, you know, you really helped me through a tough time by just watching what you did. But that's up, that doesn't matter. That's up to God. You can be an encouragement to others by living by faith. And as a pastor, I, I tell you, I, I'm the richest person. I got the best job in the world. Who else gets paid to go out and be encouraged by people like that? Huh? You guys ought to be pastors, some of you. You know, our church has put out a lot of pastors. Come on, some of you guys think about this here. I'm pointing at you over here. You guys ought to be thinking about this. It's the best job in the world. It's the best job in the world if, if God calls you to that. I tell you, it's so encouraging. Secondly, you can bring encouragement by simply speaking words of encouragement to people when the Holy Spirit prompts you to. You know what's, what's hard sometimes? Sometimes we're... And I, I know this. I, I, I find myself all the time in this too. Sometimes we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing. Have you ever felt that way? Someone is struggling. Someone's going through something you haven't been through. Somebody's just in a challenging situation, and you want to encourage them, but you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. Can I, can I encourage you? Don't be afraid. If God puts it on your heart, if God prompts you, just let them know you're thinking about them. You might say the wrong thing, but you know what? That's up to God. If your heart is genuine and your heart is where, and God is prompting you to say something, to pick up the phone, to say something, to write a note, don't be afraid. Do it. Because if, if God has put that on your heart, if God has put that on your heart, there's a reason. If God brings somebody to mind and he, and he prompts you, the Holy Spirit does say something. Do it. Just do it. And listen, friends, if you're on the receiving end, if you're going through a hard time, if there's difficulties in your life, challenges, and someone does come alongside to try and encourage you, you know what? It, it can be as much a sin to take offense as give offense. Don't be offended if someone doesn't say it right. Why? why? If someone's trying to encourage you, they're trying to help you, 
please don't ever say, I can't believe what that person said. That's not what I need to hear. Well, listen, if God's prompted them, they're trying to help. Be gracious. Accept the fact they're trying to help. Just like someday you may say the wrong thing to someone, but just encourage them. Don't be afraid to. And receive encouragement. And do it in the right spirit. And as a family of God, encourage one another. You know what? Another way we can encourage one another is meeting like this. Meeting as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we gather together, you are in, your presence here today is an encouragement to those around you. As we sing together, you know, we are singing worship, right? When we sing, when our choir sings, when our, the worship leaders lead us, we are worshiping God. But at the same time, Paul clearly tells us in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, sing and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. But he prefaces those statements by saying, to one another. When we sing a song together, yes, we are worshiping God. We are also encouraging one another as we hear the voices and we sing those words and we unite our spirits in those words together. Our time together around God's Word. Yesterday, coming in the, the work day, and for those of you who came and worked in the pouring down rain, uh, God bless you. Okay? Um, and, and, we, and worked, and it was an encouragement just to be together. Come and be together. Come on Easter. Invite a friend. Invite a relative. It's an encouragement to meet together. After Paul gives that wonderful in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the, about the coming rapture, the resurrection, he said, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope. And he talks about the rapture, the resurrection. And at the end he says, therefore, comfort, encourage one another with these words. And then finally, let me say this. Just a couple of things. Go out of your way to sacrifice with no hope in return. Give. Do things. Help people. Sacrifice. It's as simple as coming to work day, participation, serving, being a mentor, praying, whatever God's put in your heart. Just sacrifice without any hope of return. Don't do it because you want them to do it for you. I want to say a word also to all of you today. Well, let me just one more thing. Prayer. This one's very important. You know, back in Romans chapter 15, when Paul is looking forward to coming to the Romans, let me just read this too, what he says to the Romans before he gets there. This is while he's still on his way to Jerusalem. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Maybe these are the brothers that came down to meet him and encourage him from Rome. He says, I urge you, brothers, join me in my struggle. Join me in my wrestling and my struggle by praying to God for me. And then he specifically tells them what to pray for. Friends, you can be an encouragement by praying to God for others as God puts them on your heart. When you pray for somebody and God is faithful to his word and the Holy Spirit is faithful and you don't know the encouragement that may come their way, from your prayers that God used, the, the, the righteous prayers of a faithful man availeth much, King James, uh, we, we read in the epistles. Pray for one another. Encourage one another by prayer, by sacrifice, by giving to them with no hope in return. By coming together and meeting and worshiping and sharing in the, in the, in the fellowship of the community of faith together. 
By bringing words of encouragement that God puts on your heart to just, just say a word of encouragement. And by living your Christian walk, living as Christians and walking by faith, be an encouragement to others. Now let me say this in conclusion to this. I want, and this is, and really, and you know me well enough, I hope, I'm talking to myself first. Initiate it. You be the one to bring encouragement. Some of you right now are sitting here thinking maybe, you know what, I need encouragement. And why won't these people encourage me? Well, you know what? What, what, I, what I tell people when I'm doing counseling, marriage counseling, and getting ready for pre, and premarital counseling and so on, I talk to young couples about this, this principle that when you go into a marriage, if your attitude is what am I going to give, not a what am I going to get. If two people have a servant's attitude, you can't go wrong. If you both are willing to serve one another in your families, in your parents, children, your relationships, in the body of Christ, if your attitude is what am I here to give to serve, if the person next to you, around you, is feeling the same way, if we're all doing that, you will be encouraged. So I want to tell you this morning, you know, let, let's not be selfish. Yes, we need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. But I would, I would like to encourage you today to initiate. You be the one to bring encouragement to somebody. I don't care what you're going through. And I don't mean to sound harsh this morning, but I've seen it. I've experienced it from people who are going through very difficult situations. You be the one to bring encouragement, even if there's nothing in return. Listen, friends, if we can't do it to the people closest to it, you can't do it for the world. It's easier to do it for the world than for somebody in your house. You do it. You bring encouragement. You be the kind of person, you be the brothers from Rome who came to Paul and brought encouragement. Paul encouraged them. They encouraged him. They gave them the courage to go on. Why are there always children in Palm Sunday pictures? What was that, Doris? To encourage it. Isn't, what is it about, Kevin talked about what he was thinking about when children, what is it about children? What is it? There's something about that innocence. There's, you know, when all those people were, 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 were claiming to, to, to Jesus, how wonderful you're here, here. How wonderful the, the kingdom. How wonderful, wonderful. And yet he knew in five days these same crowds were going to be crying what? Crucify him. But the, the children, there's a certain innocence. There's a certain genuineness. There's a certain joy and simplicity. And I, I tend to think that we have this tradition of children in Palm Sunday because they, they probably were the ones, they were probably crying out. They were probably happy. They were probably joyous. And that tradition and that memory stuck with the early Christians and came down to us today to the point that we, on Palm Sunday, bring our children in. Did our Lord need encouragement on that day? Maybe it was the children that God used to encourage him. That that simple faith that would be reflected up by the thief on the cross to say, Lord, remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. Did the Lord need, did the Lord need encouragement? Let's close with this. In Gospel of John, I want you to prepare your hearts to come on, on Good Friday. 
excuse me, Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Our Lord went to what we call the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of us have been to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he asked his disciples, these 12 men, could you just stay awake with me? I just want you to be, I just want you to be here. I didn't want, he didn't want them to say anything. He didn't want them to do anything. He just wanted them to stay awake. He just wanted their presence with him, but they couldn't do it. They kept falling asleep. You know the story. In verse 40, on reaching, in chapter 22 of Luke, verse 40, on reaching a place, he said to them, pray you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. And really, this is, this is, this is beyond our comprehension. He came to die on the cross. He was God. This, this was it. This is why he came and he prays this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Did he really mean that? What if the father said, okay, I will. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He went, rose from his prayers and went back to the disciples, and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, and he said, Why are you sleeping? Jesus was in such agony, anticipating pain for my sin on the cross of Calvary, that he literally, physically, and this is what really, this is, this is not a metaphor, his, he was so intense, his blood vessels, the doctors to explain this to us, that he actually sweat blood. It was so intense. The sorrow, the, the, the pain, the, I don't know if I want to use the word fear, the, the emotions of what was to take place. That God sent an angel to come alongside and strengthen him. It didn't solve it. It didn't make it go away. The sweat didn't stop and the pain didn't stop. But the angel was there to encourage him as he went to the cross of Calvary. God is good. God will bring encouragement. Jesus Christ loves you so much. He did that for you and for me. The least we can do is bring encouragement to the least of these, his children, as he gives us the opportunity to serve him, to walk with him, and to be of encouragement to others. Let's close our service to our final hymn. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray as we leave this place today that your word would be an encouragement to our hearts, that the presence of fellow believers in this room who love you, who are going through the same struggles, the same challenges, the same joys, the same anticipations, that we would be an encouragement to one another. And Lord, I pray that you would put it on my heart, in the heart of each brother and sister here today, that they would be the ones to bring encouragement, even if they are in need of encouragement, that they would be a servant, and that they would bring encouragement to somebody. If you put someone in our hearts this week, Lord, might we be faithful and respond and pass on a word of hope and encouragement. And Lord, most of all, we thank you today that we can stand here as a forgiven, saved people 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to come on Friday and remember that sacrifice. God, we thank you that you love us so much that Jesus Christ came and died and paid for our sins that we can receive eternal life. And that we pray if there be a, a, a person here today, young or old, that has never received Christ as their Savior, that in faith and humility they would acknowledge their need for salvation and say yes to God. Receive forgiveness for sins and the pass from death to life. And friend, if that's you today, and, you, and you'd like to you do that, or you'd like to pray about it, you'd like to be with someone, just let me know. I'll be sure and step aside and spend some time with you. It's between you and God, not between you and me or you and the church. It's between you and God. We leave this place rejoicing in the encouragement the Holy Spirit will bring in our lives this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.